Uh, this thing that we're going to talk about today about reconciliation, how God has made us right with each other. He's made us right with himself. I talked about that last week, and we looked at Romans 5, which was incredible. And then we're looking at Romans 12 today, that God has made us right with each other. But I cannot be made right with you until I'm reconciled with God. And I cannot live right with you unless I live rightly reconciled with God. Because if I'm not right with God, I'm a pain in the neck to you. Can I get an amen? amen. But God wants so much more from me than what I've ever considered. You see, I grew up in a church that basically said this, you show up at what we're doing and you go to visitation, you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, I've heard preachers say this, if you love God, you come on Sunday morning. If you love Jesus, you come on Sunday night. If you love the Holy Ghost, you come on Wednesday night. And if you love all the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, you go out on visitation every week. What? I mean, even as a little boy, I listened to that and said, that is wrong. Because what I've discovered is that you could be as mean as a snake. And as long as you showed up at stuff you were supposed to, you were considered deacon material. Am I telling the truth now? Dr. Cheetah was having a moment with the Holy Ghost right now. Yeah. But God wants so much more for us than this. He's got such a deeper desire for us. I wrote a book, it's called Sifted Leadership, and I gave copies away. And some of you have read this account in this, this copy. I gave copies away because that's how you get rid of my book. You give it away, and most of y'all haven't read it yet, but that's all right. I tell a story about an encounter I had in India, and some of y'all know this, so just bear with me. And I'm not going to tell all of it, I'm just going to kind of abbreviate it. But a few years back, I was invited to go to India where I was training pastors, and we were training, goodness, I spoke in three different locations with 3,000 pastors at each location. So that's what, I'm not a mathematician, but I believe that's 9,000 pastors, right? And so going to India, I'd never been to India, and I did something really stupid. I know it's a shock that I would do something stupid, this is what I did. I decided I was going to preach that weekend, and we had three gatherings at our church in, in South Texas, so I preached Saturday night, twice on Sunday. I got uh, a flew to Houston, and then flew to Mumbai, India uh, overnight, and began teaching. I got there Monday night at midnight in, in Mumbai, and Mumbai is a tiny city of 27 million people. It never stops, they never stop blowing their horns. In fact, they said, you know, Pastor Scott, you hear the horns blowing. That is called the Mumbai cricket. The horns blowing. I thought that was funny. Y'all missed it. <laughs> and so I arrived there, and uh, this stranger met me at the airport. It's a miracle I wasn't abducted. Uh, a friend of mine said if I, you were abducted, they would have given you back and brought cash with them. But... <laughs> and I was joined there by the rest of my team, and there was three other pastors, uh, well, actually four other pastors, so we were divided into teams, uh, and, we, and I was rooming with Pastor David Anachuku, who was uh, pastor, my Nigerian pastor friend. He said, Pastor Scott, my eyes have been hungry to see you. Your church, it's pregnant with the gospel. 
And, and I would teach this to pastors and he would preach and prophesy the same material to pastors. But Anachuku would get up every morning at four and pray out loud. It's all right, that's real spiritual, except if you're his roommate. I wanna say, I'm gonna let you have a face-to-face -face with Jesus. You need to hush up in there. But something happened to me in India that really changed the way I think. I spoke, it was a morning gathering, and I, I spoke, and, and I said to the, the pastor host, I said, I wanna buy Tara some cheap jewelry. <laughs> He said, Pastor, I know just the place. So we, we go to this place, and I'm looking at this jewelry. In fact, I bought this jewelry that Tara has never worn. <laughs> Not that I'm bitter. You can ask her about it. She's sitting on the front row. My wife right here. And, I, and, I, and while I'm purchasing this jewelry, the, the clerk, the, the young lady who was waiting on us, she's probably 18, she looks at me and said, Are you a holy man? What? Are you a holy man? Uh, you know, I had never even considered holiness something to be grasped, much less be called a holy man. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And she goes, oh, you're a holy man. And she fell on my, down on her, her knees and she grabbed my feet because she wanted to touch the feet of a holy man. What is up with that? And so I'm awkward, obviously. And the pastor, he rings down, he said, but let me tell you whose holy man he is. And he tells her about Christ, and she gets saved. And I'm going like, what the heck? Three ladies who's also working this store, oh, they start celebrating. We have been praying for her. And they started a small group for her right there in the, in the store to begin to disciple her, to teach her how to live for, all for Jesus. So I was like, dude, this is crazy. This is India. Now, I'm sleep-deprived, and... And because um, I was only there, y'all, I flew in on Tuesday and I flew out Thursday night. How stupid is that? But okay, so all right, that was cool. And I'm like, wow. And then that night I have dinner with Pastor Joseph. Pastor Joseph was a street kid in India. There are over 5 million people who live on the street in Mumbai. That's the city a size of Houston lives on the street in abject total poverty. Five million. And I'm with Pastor Joseph, who was one of those street children. At 13, a British sailor gave him a copy of the book of John in English. He taught himself to read English and found Christ. He then began to study theology, and he launched a church. And the church was doing nothing until he decided he wanted to have a church like Jesus did. And he found 12 men, and he, he did the 12 on 12 on 12 on 12. And now his church was 20,000 people a weekend in 52 different locations. It was not a video venue. It was Pastor Joseph pouring into 12, who poured into 12, who poured into 12, who poured into 12, who poured into 12. And I was there to help them because they had a vision to, to, to reach 200,000 people and to... Feed, house, clothe, and educate 100,000 street children. Wow. You know what? I, I didn't help them. They helped me. And so I'm talking to Pastor Joseph, and he's, he's an Indian. He's, you know, obviously. And uh, he hooks his arm around mine, and he talks to me. He begins to pet me like a cat. You know, I, I started arching my back and purring. 
it was crazy. I mean, y'all, I'm from Texas. You don't do that. Don't be petting me like a cat. And so, I, I, you know, it, it, he's talking to me about his life, his story, and we have dinner together. And then after dinner, of course, I get to pay for the dinner. It was cheap. And, uh, and there was probably 12 of us there. And I pay for dinner, and I'm talking to the, the bellboys, the, the guys who were helping us, the busboys, the waiters. And I give them a $20 tip. I said, hey, guys, the four of them. I said, hey, guys, thank you so much for the good work you did. Here's 20 bucks. I did not know that they were living on a dollar a day. So I gave them a week's pay. That's a pretty good tip, isn't it? And they were, they were looking at each other. They were kind of flabbergasted. And they, they obviously been talking. They looked at me. They said, are you a holy man? I looked around, made sure none of my staff was there. I said, yes, I am. <laughs> and that began a conversation. Who do you follow? And I told them I followed Jesus. And one said he followed this God. And one said he followed that God. One said he followed the other God. And, 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 and I said, but when you follow Jesus, all these other gods go away. And you follow the one and only true God, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who died for your sins. And they said, we want to follow Christ. We want to follow Jesus. And now you have to get rid of all your other gods. They said, we will do that. And so they all four prayed and they asked Christ to come in their heart. And I walked out of that restaurant feeling completely defeated because I thought, who in the world is going to come alongside them and help them live all for Jesus? Next morning, I came down the stairs. Two bellboys came up and said, Pastor Scott, we go to Pastor Joseph's church. We heard what happened last night in the restaurant, and this morning we started discipling those men. Nobody voted. Nobody recruited. Nobody signed a covenant. Nobody gave them curriculum. The church was being the church. So I'm just like, wow. I finish my teaching assignment, and I go to the airport to fly out. Now, the rest of my team, smart as they were, they were staying, and they were going to tour India. I was going back to preach. Because I preached the next weekend, too, at our church. Stupid. I go to the airport, and there was just unbelievable lines. You had to go through three sets of security. And behind me is a young man from Brazil. And we began talking. He was there working on a, a deal to open up a, a steel refurbishing plant in, in, in Mumbai and in India. And I was, you know, I told him, you know, I was there on business. I didn't tell him I was a preacher. And then he says to me, you know, I'm getting married and I really need to talk to a holy man. Are you a holy man? <laughs> yes, I am. Well, he trusts Christ as well. I get on the plane. I'm totally exhausted. We're flying to Paris. There's a guy sitting beside me. He's weeping uncontrollably. And I said, dude, what's up? He goes, I just got married. I said, well, yeah, you'll cry harder later. And <laughs> said, I love my wife so much and I, I can't believe we're separating. And, and I, he said, and I just met her a week ago. What? It was an arranged marriage. And he says, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to be married. And so I was talking with him. He said, I need to talk to a holy man. I said, well, here's my card. Scott Weatherford, holy man. <laughs> we talk all the way to Paris. And when we got off the plane, this other older Indian fellow walks behind me, grabs me, shows says, Pastor, I've heard you talking to this young man. 36 years ago, I was married to my wife in an arranged marriage. I will take it from here. And off they went. So I'm in Paris now, and I'm, I need coffee bad. And I go to order coffee, and there's this young Indian woman in front of me, 
as she's trying to order coffee and it's very, very difficult for her. And the, the, the barista was not helping. So I speak a little French and I ordered two coffees with milk and I paid for it. And she turned around, she looked at me and said, are you a holy man? <laughs> I'm not making this stuff up, y'all. And then I talked to her and she said, I'm going to the United States to study the difference between Christianity and Islam. Do you know the differences? Maybe. <laughs> so we have about an hour long conversation and I suggest, she was going to Chicago, I suggest a few churches for her to attend. And then I get on the bus and again, and I get on the plane again, are you a holy man? And I came to realize I'm a holy man. And it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with God. It has everything to do, get this, with people who need to see a holy man or holy woman show up in their lives. And it has to do with you. That we, Jesus, I read this this morning. It just kind of jumped out at the page of the Bible. You know when something jumps out of the Bible at you? Pay attention. It jumped out and said, so let your light so shine before men that they may see, see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And Jesus said, Scott, that's why you're a holy man, so people can see me. It's not about you and your righteousness or your goodness or your perfection. Are you wearing some robe or some hat or get some people to touch your feet? It's about me because when you give yourself to me, you belong to me. And then you are to be a blessing to the world. To the world. And if we've been reconciled with God, we've been reconciled with each other. That somehow this holiness on display through a life focus on Jesus, it changes me, it shifts my focus. It changes the pattern of my life. So how do I do that? How do we do that? And how we've been reconciled with God, how do we reconcile with each other so we can, and next week we're going to talk about this, be ministers or people of reconciliation. How do we do that? Well, I think Paul outlines it pretty darn well in, a, in Romans chapter 12. Now, Dr. Cheetah, you've probably heard this taught and exegeted a lot. Well, it's going to be different. Imagine that. Because I think God is saying something to us here today about the condition of our hearts and the condition of our relationships that we might live all for Jesus. Are you guys ready for this? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us today. And I pray that you speak through me. That will not be my words or thoughts, but Father, your truth that guides us to understand your call in our lives. And I pray we will not leave here the same. I pray that every week, Father. But I realize that you're changing us from glory to glory, from glory to glory to glory to glory. That every day we might be more like you until we are with you. So guide us today, Father. Thank you that you are faithful and you are good. And I pray this in your strong name. Amen. Amen. I want to remind you, go ahead and take out your Take the Weekend With You notes. Will you do that? And I want to remind you of the resources, the extra resources we provide for you every week. I'm so excited. Uh, Libby, who's back in the back, she's started a relationship with us writing our small group curriculum. So uh, I'm so excited. It's so good. 
and we're working on the next couple of projects. It's so good. I want you guys to enjoy the group material. And there's video introductions from me there, also other materials. So use it. It's on our website. Please take advantage uh, of that. Uh, it, here's something you could pray for me about. I'm a writer. I, I like to write. And I've just got writer's block right now like I can't believe. Can y'all, y'all, any of y'all writers? You just, just said, I just dried up. So y'all pray that Lord will dump it out again, okay? Will y'all do that? Because I need to aggravate y'all some more with some writings. All right, is that a deal? All right, let's jump right in this. Let's look at what Paul says to the church in Rome. Now, remember some things about this, the book of Romans. Paul, the master uh, uh, systematic theologian, is building his case about life in Christ. And then he gets to five, as we talked about. He talks about being justified. He gets it to six, and he says, you know, we're, we're still broken. And he gets it to seven and says, the things I do, I don't want to do, I do. And then he gets to eight, and he says, therefore, there's no, now, no condemnation in Christ. And then he gets to 12. He gets to 12, he really starts about the practicality of us living together. What does it really mean to be reconciled Together, and Of course, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 are really well-known passages. If you've been around church any part of your life, you've heard somebody talk about this. But maybe today we're going to talk about it in a different way. God reconciles you for you to live right. He doesn't reconcile you just to get you into heaven. He reconciles you to live right. Now, last week we had vacation Bible school for the little kids, kindergarten through third grade. And on Wednesday, I had a chance to talk to the second and third graders about being reconciled with God through Jesus Christ. All of them got saved, y'all. All of them, all nine million of them. And Melinda was going, they all can't be getting saved. And probably not, but I do know this, that God begins to stir their little hearts. Maybe they're not old enough yet, and some of them were definitely old enough to receive Christ, and they did. And we talked to these kids. We were responsible. But, but those that are not yet ready, God starts working in their hearts, getting them ready, right? Do you know you often come to Jesus before you come to Jesus? You know that? He wakens you up, and then he brings you in. If you look at the life of Peter, and I'll just trace this quickly, Peter had the encounter with Jesus found in Luke chapter 5 when he says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That was probably his fourth encounter with Jesus. It wasn't his first. You see, God's always tilling the soil of your soul. And then after you come to Christ, he ain't done cultivating, y'all. Can I get a witness? He starts working in our lives. God reconciles you in order for you to live right or live all for Jesus. Let me read for you. Romans 12, 1 and 2. You can follow with me if you have a Bible or it'll be up on the screen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God. Now, I'm using the EVS, the, uh, the whatever version is, I think English Standard Version. Uh, and that's the same version that's in your pew. But I love what, um, I think it's the, the new... Uh, a new American standard says, I urge you therefore brothers. And the word urge is the same word used in John for the Holy Spirit, perkletos. I urge you, I come alongside you. I put my arm around you. I walk with you. I urge you. I'm looking at Paul as a pastor and I realize if I am not putting my arm around you and loving you, I am not fit to be a pastor. Just chase a little rabbit there. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God or in light of God's mercy, 
Now, in two, three, four weeks from now, we're going to talk about hope for the world. Hope, help the oppressed, plead for the exploited. I'm going to be talking about mercy. And God, there's several Hebrew words for mercy. But Paul's talking about the mercy of God. And that is the, the ever, ever extending, ever pursuing, all relenting mercy of God. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Why did he say bodies? Because he's talking to a bunch of people who've been influenced by the heresy of Gnosticism. Who said you could present your spirit, but you don't have to present your body. So your body could be engaged in sexual immorality and you're still all right. And Paul said, no, 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 no. That's not the way it is which is your spiritual worship. Do not be, and he uses the word spirit there because the Gnostics divided body and spirit. And he, Paul's saying, no, no, body and spirit are the same. You are one person. I'll not chase that any longer. There's a lot there. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The renewing of your mind. Renewal of your mind. That by testing that by testing you may discern, by testing, by testing you may discern, in this world you will have trouble. But fear not, I have overcome the world, said Jesus. By testing you will discern. Whew. What is the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect? Well, I just want to know the will of God. We'll go through the fire and you'll find the will. Really? Really? Well, when you come to Jesus, you're supposed to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You're not supposed to have any troubles. Huh. There's an old spiritual that says, soon I'll be done with the troubles of this world, going home to live with God. Let's look at this. Being made right with God is bigger than just being you being made right. It means we're being made right. Or to put it into Texas vernacular, y'all been made right. I love the road signs in Texas. They say, y'all be careful. Uh, in fact, when we moved to Canada, we brought some Texas colloquialisms to Canada. People in Calgary knew if you went to First, Bapt First Alliance, excuse me, they ought to be Baptist. First Alliance Church when people would say, y'all. Say, you must go to that church where that, that crazy Texas preacher is. That's me. That y'all been made right. We've been made right with God, and it's bigger than me. I appeal, I urge you, and I have to talk to you about the Holy Spirit. Paul is putting his arms around the Roman church and inviting them to live all for Jesus. And literally, that's what I want to do for you guys. I want to put my arms around you this morning and say, come on, let's go. Let's go together. One of the reasons I was in Sioux Falls working with this church is because a pastor there, Keith Loy, my friend, I went to put my arm around him and say, let's go, let's go together. Why? Because in 1999, he planted a church in Sioux Falls, a place nobody else would go. He started that church. It's now a church of 4,000. And he's having to relocate the church and he doesn't know how to do it. And I do. So I put my arm around him. Let's, let's go. Let's go. Now, y'all, I ain't moving to Sioux Falls. Well, I shouldn't say that out loud because God said, you want to watch? Uh, Lord, I've spent my time in the frozen north. Thank you very much. But I can put my arm around that pastor, right? 
and I can put my arm around you and you can put your arm around me and we could go together. This is, the, this is in light of God's assistance and his mercy that his holiness is a team endeavor. It's not a personal pursuit. It's a corporate pursuit. Really, we ought to be asking the question, are you a holy people? Now, some of y'all think holiness means that women don't cut their hair or wear makeup and they wear long skirts. But that's not holiness. That's just hootenanny. And I don't mean to be dismissive, and hootenanny is not dismissive. It means just stuff that's added on. Or the Cajuns would call it lanyap. So let your light so shine that we can live as holy community. And then Paul says, give yourself to God. Give yourself to God. This is worship. Jesus, I'm yours. Worship is not just singing some songs or having a mystical experience. Worship is a life of devotion. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice. You know what I've discovered about living sacrifices? Me, as a living sacrifice, I can place myself on the altar of God and say, Jesus, I'm yours. But then in the next moment, I can crawl off the altar. But if we're living holiness together in community, I'm going to hold you in place while you hold me in place. And it's really hard to crawl off when somebody's got a hold of you. Y'all understand? And that's why the uniformity of a philosophy that we have to be a church that builds lives that honor God holds us together. So we cannot crawl away. And give yourself to God. And a transformed mind will always lead, and this will by the transforming of your mind. Listen to me very carefully. A transformed mind will also produce a transformed life. If your life is not different because of Jesus, you need to check your mind. You need to check your mind. And what does a life for Christ look like? Well, then. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, uh, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. Am I more loving? Am I more kind? Am I more patient? Am I more faithful? Am I, uh, am I exhibiting self-control? Am I a holy man? Yesterday, I was a little aggravated that my flight got canceled. Y'all with me? And I had an opportunity to be a royal backside. Do I need to translate that for y'all? Dan will be glad to translate that for you because he's seen that side of me. Or I had a chance to be loving. So with my wife as my accountability, my Holy Spirit in the skirt, we were loving, but I did a little bit of negotiating as well. I said, well, you know, I had a, an engagement. I had to be at 6 o'clock, and now y'all not going to fly me out to 528, and I'm going to miss that engagement. And they tried very hard to accommodate me, and they, Delta wouldn't play nice with American, and our United wouldn't either. And, and so there we were. So I said, well, 
what if y'all upgraded me? I'll feel better about my delay if I'm riding in first class. <laughs> and so they put us in first class. We thought was serendipitously kind of American, but God had an appointment with us, with our stewardess. Who just moved to Dallas. Who needed to talk to a pastor and his wife. You know, a man determines his, his plans, but the Lord determines his steps. And the pursuit of holiness is that I might be a blessing to discern or to know that this life is a long process of knowing and following and finding Christ. When I come to Christ, I'm not one and done. I trusted Jesus, I'm done. See you in heaven. No. It's the process of living and maturing and growing and living literally in the presence of God every second. Whether you're baking a cake, singing in a choir, preaching a message, working at your job or in H-E-B or on an American airline that had been delayed with a broken air conditioner. That I live in the presence of Christ. That you live in the presence of Christ. Now, some of y'all out there right now, I can see it in your little beady eyes, you're thinking, well, you're a preacher. You're supposed to be like that. I'm not a preacher. I can get away with living like a heathen. No, you can't. Do you think Jesus loves me more than he loves you? Probably. No, he doesn't. <laughs> no. That we have this, this God who's loved us, who's redeemed us, who's rescued us in order for us to be his hands and feet, to be his representative, to be his people, that we might be holy people set apart. And then reconciliation then leads to a refocusing of my life and a refocusing of our lives. Paul goes on to say, for by grace, and this is chapter uh, 12, verse three through eight, for by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Whoo! But think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned you. For, the, as, for as in one body we have many members, and as members do not have all the same function, and so we, though many, we are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. That means we all belong to one another. That means when you're slacking, I'm hurting. Oh. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, charos is the word there for grace, and it's the grace gifts of God. Let us use them in prophecy, in proportion to our faith. And prophecy doesn't mean foretelling the future. In prophecy in the New Testament means declaring Jesus Christ. Don't forget that. Jesus is your future. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes to generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And theologians have compiled these gift lists Paul had, and Paul has them in several different places here in Romans and, and, and Ephesians 4, uh, also in the book of Colossians. He also has them in the book of Corinthians. He has these gift lists. He gives his lists, but these lists are not all inclusive. They're exemplary. They're examples of how God's going to use us, and God uses all of us in different ways. He made you to use you for his glory. 
And he empowers you with his spirit to do the supernatural, even though you are natural. Wow. So I have to shift my focus off of me and I have to realize that my selfishness produces my preferences and I have to look at you and I have to say, what do you need? And I have to look at Wimberley and I have to say, what do they need? (laughs) And that self-awareness is a product of the Holy Spirit working in me that I don't become narcissistic, I become Christocentric. Did y'all get that? Narcissism focused on myself, Christocentric focusing on Christ. Hmm. And when my focus sh- shifts, we can serve God. And we can be faithful. And you can step up to serve. The next weekend, we're going to teach you how to do that in our next step classes. Offered at both hours, 9, 15, and 11. And 11. And the reconciliation leads to intentional love. And as I was walking through this, let me kind of tell you how I study. Let's tell you how I study. Y'all, I'll take a passage of Scripture. Y'all notice that I teach a lot just through passages. Yeah, you know, there's topics, but there's passages, and I preach what's called preaching for life change. And what I'll do is I'll sit down with the text I'm going to use, and I'll say, okay, God, what do you want me to know, and what do you want me to do? And I start writing out thoughts. I start writing out thoughts. What I see, I write out those thoughts. And then I go and I check commentaries to see if I'm right. And then I call my brother Stan to see if they're right. <laughs> Joe is with me um, what, I can't remember what day it was. Joe was in my office, and, uh, and we were talking about next year's preaching plan. And I said, well, let's call Stan. And I called my brother, and he backloads this whole theological dissertation on me. And Joe goes, you are kidding about him. I said, no. And he's coming, y'all, here. End of July, first part of August, and he's going to be teaching First John. I don't want you to miss it. It's called Summer Soak. You want to be a part of that. But as I wrote this down, leads to intentional love. I realized that this, that God wants me to be holy and holiness is displayed by loving. And the more like Christ I am, the more loving I become because God is what? Love. Let love be genuine. Paul says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. And he uses the word there for love, uh, brotherly love, filio, for brother, brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I'm going to be better than you at showing honor. I'm going to out-honor you. How often do we say that? Never, because we say, honor us. Honor me. I am your pastor. I should have my reserve parking spot shaded and air-conditioned. outdo you by showing honor. Hmm. Do not be slothful or lazy in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Wow. So what is Paul saying? Stop pretending you love people and just really love them. 
Let it be genuine. Y'all ever been faked love before? Yeah. Usually by somebody trying to sell you something you don't need at a price you can't afford. But you know what genuine love feels like? It's show honor. And don't be lazy. Don't be slothful in zeal. What, what does that mean? As I looked at that, I said, what, what does that mean? And a lot of times, well, a lot of people have pulled this out and said, well, this is the foundation of the Protestant work ethic. That we're supposed to work hard for a living because Paul said, don't be lazy in your zeal. And you know what I'm saying? You're ignorant. Because that's not what that means at all. Why would Paul talk about your vocational uh, work in the middle of talking about loving? You know, he said, don't be lazy in your relationships. Don't be lazy in relationships. That means I have to extend myself to love my wife and love my children. I can't be lazy. That means, get this, I have to put Tara's needs in front of my needs, dadgummit. Am I by myself? Oh, you boys are very quiet. You're looking very spiritual. You're on your own, brother. There is no paracletos here. We are not urging you. We are distancing from you. Yeah. Yeah, move on. That's it. Thank you, Ron. <laughs> okay, but get this. I'm not to be lazy with my kids. I'm not to be lazy with you. And you're not to be lazy with me. But I can become sloppy and I can become lazy because I'm selfish and I need Jesus. Because a holy man is a transformed man. Wow. And if I see a need, I meet a need. I'm going to say something to you. We have a ministry called Carpenter's Helpers. I want to say this to you. I want you to listen to me. We are all carpenter's helpers. You don't need a t-shirt. You need to be saved. So you can serve. And let me end this. About 20 minutes, I'll be done. You're reconciled to live connected. To live connected. Bless those who persecute you. Blessed, don't curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty. But associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one with evil for evil. Give thought to what you do. It's as honorable in the sight of all if possible. As far as it depends upon you, be, live at peace with all people. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave that to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. That is so loaded. Blessed, not curse. Rejoice and weep and enter into. Enter into. God has given you experiences that are painful and that are hurtful. And God says, now you've gone through this and I've helped you. And I want you now to take somebody else through it. To take somebody else through it. Yesterday, we were delayed in Sioux Falls. And um, so I'd been there before. Terry had never been there. And um, the couple, the friend of ours, um, Tom and Jane Crick, he 
He's been a friend for several years. He's the executive pastor up there. And uh, Tom says, well, let's take you and Tara to the Sioux Falls, to the falls. It's called Sioux Falls because they're falls. And I said, well, I've seen them. The Tara says, well, I haven't. I said, well, all right, let's go. And this is how I saw him. I was driving with this guy and he said, hey, over there is Sioux Falls. I went, okay. That's how I'd seen him. This time we got out of the car and we walked and we got the mist on us and we smelled the pig processing plant down the river. And we crossed down, we went up on a tower and we looked over everything, we took pictures. You see, I had noticed the Sioux Falls before. Now I have seen them. You have noticed Christ before. Now you've seen him and by seeing him, it produces a new level of relationships so I can rejoice with you. I can weep with you. I can enter in with you because I've seen Christ. Now I can see you and we can go together. Are y'all with me? And unity matters. As it lies within you, be at peace with all men. If you're going to be disunified, shut up. And kill your elitism. Kill it. Kill your racism. Kill it. Because thinking you're better than somebody else has no place in the kingdom of God. Choose to be a peacemaker. Let God work out the evil part. You work out. Let God extract discipline and vengeance. That means, get this, and I wrote this down because I really need this. I need to have a forgiving and accepting heart. Because love wins. Are you a holy man? Holy woman? As I said before, somehow I missed this. I grew up thinking that holiness was attending church, already sharing my faith. I could be mean and divisive, but as long as I attended the programs, said the right things, used churchy words, I was all good. But see, what what was happening is I wasn't becoming a holy man. I was becoming a Pharisee, a hypocrite. Holiness does not mean perfection. Holiness means to be set apart. In most of our thinking, a holy man or holy woman lives in isolation on a hill someplace with a funky robe on. But as those of us who follow Christ... Holy men and women live in the heart of community, being effectively contagious with the love of Jesus everywhere they go with every one they meet. Are you a holy man or holy woman? 